Menno Middle got you down? Crush your sugar cravings with delicious, all-natural Bossa Bars from Menopause, created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at bossabars.com and save 10% every time with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. I was raised in a house where all the books on our living room and den were organized by the Dewey Decimal System. Not a joke. My mom was a librarian for decades, and my dad was a book-buying junkie. I was that dorky kid in middle school who'd be reading at lunch or at the seventh grade sleepover. I love books and love reading, which is why I'm so excited to introduce you to the author of the last book I ripped through in four hours flat. Meet Annabelle Monahan, author of the buzzy new book, Nora Goes Off Script. Annabelle is also the author of two young adult novels and the laugh out loud essay collection, Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big? If a book is the gift you can open again and again, then Annabelle is helping us unwrap the perfect summer beach read with Nora Goes Off Script. Welcome, Annabelle. Thank you so much, Katie. I am so excited to be here because I'm your biggest fan. I have been listening to this podcast (laughs) since the very first one. Um, and I'm a hundred percent sure this will be the first one I don't listen to, but I'm very excited. to be here. I love it. It's so funny. I do not like to listen to myself. So I totally get that. And I'm very excited to have you here. I'm excited to dive into the behind the scenes of novel writing and midlife creativity and the nitty gritty of being an author. But I, I really want to just open by asking you about the backstory of Nora Goes Off Script and why you decided to venture into adult fiction. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, this, I think I was ready. Uh, I think that when I was younger, um, a young adult fiction felt a little bit safer, uh, because I was writing from a distance, you know, writing about a 17 year old girl, you're sort of writing about an experience you may have had a long time ago. And I don't think it was until I turned 50 that I was ready to talk about what it means to be a mother and what it means to be married and sort of all the experiences that I was, have been soaking in for so long. Um, so that's sort of why I um, moved into adult fiction. Okay. So that, that makes sense. One of the questions I had for you is that, you know, the, the book uh, Nora focuses on a, a screenwriter, right? She's a working mom. She's the breadwinner yeah. in this um and the relationship that she's in, which is evolving. Why did you choose to make Nora a working mom? Is that because it's something that felt familiar to you, even though you were making a foray into a fictional setting? Well, yes. Um, She came about because I really wanted to write about a Hallmark channel. In my book, it's the Romance Channel screenwriter. Um, and that, so she had to have that job. That was sort of the jumping off point for this book. I, um, in 2019, I was in bed for a bit and I got hooked on the Hallmark channel and I started watching one after another of these made for television romance movies, you know, in these beautiful small towns with the, the hardware store and the bakery. And I started to notice how, um, they were all like pretty much the same movie. Like instead of being a, um, a cupcake maker in Akron, she was like a ballet teacher in Arizona, but it was pretty much the same movie over and over again. And I started like staying until the credits because I wanted to know who was writing these movies. Like, was it somebody who was 
really interested in romance or was it somebody who, you know, just was reverse engineering the same story over and over again. And I just became really preoccupied by this job. And I wondered what it would like be like to be a, you know, a romance writer who had never really been in love. And so that's sort of how I got Nora and how she came into her job. I love that. So one of the running jokes in the book uh, is that Nora's, you know, screenwriting has a formula. You just outline the formula for us. I know that you taught novel writing at Sarah Lawrence. Do you think that fiction has a formula? I absolutely don't. Um, and if it did, I would be so happy. Like somebody <laughs> just shoot me up with that formula and I'll write you a book every six months. But um, I don't. I think there is there's a way to think about fiction writing. You know, you you have a person and they're in a situation and then something happens and they go on a journey and then something changes and there's a resolution. Like generally speaking, that happens. You know, it's it's the format of Cinderella basically over and over again. Um but I don't think that's enough to create fiction. And I also think that you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't get so stuck on that formula because it's just not that easy. It's so much more of an art than a science. That makes sense. So it's, there's some basic scaffolding, right? There, that, you, that you build a story around, but there isn't a formula. So you had yes. your, Nora Goes Off Script is an unlikely love story, um, but it felt very real. It felt very relatable. You know, I was rooting for the characters to make it. And I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about what is the, you know, conceit here and the formula and why does this particular relationship in this book work? Because it does, mm -hmm. right? You're excited for this couple. You know, I think that you fall in love with some, I think you fall in love with people for a lot of reasons. There's chemistry and proximity and opportunity and all those things. Um, but ultimately you're looking for something that you wish that you want a little bit more of, you want to bring into your life. So Nora is a person who lives in a, a very sort of regimented way for survival. Um, she lives a fairly simple life, but she's just trying to raise her children and, you know, make ends meet and do the best she can and enter Leo Vance, the sexiest man alive, who, you know, <laughs> I just, there's nothing that I like more than the phrase, the sexiest man alive. It just, of it course, you wrote, the, you, uh, Annabelle, you wrote this novel. So you could just keep saying that over and over again. Right. And do you think that Paul Rudd's going to call me or he's not going to? I me? hope so. <laughs> I, I just feel like he's not only the sexiest people. man alive, he's also the most ageless man alive. That guy looks exactly the way he did 20 years ago. It is astonishing, which, by the it's way, I know that you're not a fan of or maybe it's the word amazing. We'll talk about that next. But I will say that Paul Rudd deserves <laughs> the word astonishing and amazing. But yes, he does. But keep he going. He, I'm distracting well, you. Paul, call me. Yes. Um, anyways, so Leo is this person who, um, at, you know, at, at Thanksgiving dinner, he looks around the table and everybody at the table's on his payroll. Like he he's a movie star. He's a celebrity. He has homes that he didn't pick out anything that he owns for that, that he owns. He doesn't he just he, he is not like invested in the small details of his life. And he comes into Nora's life and he gets to go to the grocery store and he wants to touch everything because this is sort of an experience uh, that he hasn't had. So that's the basis of their romance. Um, 
And I would argue, or I would actually ask you, Katie, do you think it's a fantasy that some of us have that maybe there's a celebrity that if they really got to know us, they would be totally into us? Oh, my God. This is such a great question. And by the way, it's I know it's a great question because I had it on my list. You know, I, I wanted to specifically ask you about this because in the book, Leo has the opportunity to be, you know, to continuously hook up with all these Hollywood starlets, but he chooses a single mom in midlife from a small town. And I wanted to know, you know, is there a message there that you're trying to send? <laughs> or does it feel like a fantasy? Well, it's a fantasy and maybe it's true. Like maybe there's something really beautiful about what we're doing, you know, and maybe like, you know, being on the big screen and shellacking yourself in makeup and having to not eat any food. So you fit into a certain dress size, like maybe that's one thing, but maybe like being um, a wonderful mother and great at your job, like maybe those things are actually like really appealing and have value. Absolutely. Of course. The, the ability to have a real life, to, to be nurturing, to be able to live a private life because, um, you know, Leo did not get to have that in the book. He lived a very exposed life. You know, if you're a Hollywood star or if you're one of these Instagram influencers, there's sort of a lot of surface. So I, I agree. There, there's beauty and um, just a, a life well lived. You know, I do want to ask you about... Um, living this sort of small town life. I know that I'm in a smaller suburb. I know that you live in a smaller town in Connecticut. The rhythms of the small town life felt very familiar and organic, but you made the Hollywood glamour and the behind the scenes feel so real. We're going to be heading into a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I want to ask you how you captured Hollywood so beautifully. Rosebud Woman crafts beautiful, organic, sexual wellness and intimate self-care products to support women in midlife. Their Honor Everyday Balm is a magical vulvar and vaginal moisturizer with Basa Bolo to build back skin resilience. I use it and absolutely love it. Arouse, the only three-in-one stimulating serum available on the market, enhances sensation in a woman's own lubrication. Rosebud Woman also offers award-winning body care products crafted to address the top needs of women of a certain age. I use the Anoint Oil on both my face and body daily. It is silky, smooth, and deeply hydrating. Join Rosebud Woman in a lifestyle of deep self-reverence. A certain age listeners who use the code KATIE10 at checkout receive 10% off their purchase. That's K-A-T-I-E-1-0. Head to rosewoman.com for beautiful sexual wellness and intimate care essentials. Okay, Annabelle, we're back from the break. You write about the rhythms of small town lives in a way that really just brings them to life. But you also capture Hollywood. Uh, did you do research or did you just binge watch, you know, old Oscars? How'd you get there? I love this question because um, it takes me back to my origin story. Um, so I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and my mother and my grandparents all grew up in Los Angeles. We've been there for a long time. And I don't think I've ever missed the Academy Awards. In fact, when I was a kid, we would sit with TV tables in front of the TV and we would have hors d'oeuvres for dinner and we would get dressed up to watch the Academy Awards. It, it's like, you know, other people celebrate Christmas the way we celebrated the Academy Awards. So I did not need to binge watch that at all. Um, that is in the getting ready for the Academy Awards and what the red carpet would be like. Um, that was pretty much my whole upbringing. So that was really fun to write. 
Yeah, you could you really sort of had that come to life. And I think you captured the the notion of writing very well. Obviously, your main protagonist Nora is a is a screenwriter. Your your work is also screenwriting. Nora has a very special place where she writes all of her um her you know her television script. She does it in something called the Tea House and that plays a big part of it's sort of a central character in the book. Do you write someplace special? Do you have your own tea house where you do your work? Katie, I do not have my own tea house. <laughs> and I don't you know, know. You know who's going to is... give you a tea house? Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd would get you your own tea house. Paul, where is my tea house? Uh, so the tea house, you know, I maybe it's a fantasy for some people that the sexiest man alive is going to come and live in their house and fall in love with them. My fantasy is that I have someplace to go to write. And I wrote this story uh, during the initial 2020 quarantine uh, when my entire, all of my three children were home, either working from home or being at school um, from home. And my husband was home and um, they had taken over my office and every room in my house. Um, and I wrote this book in a small chair that I found in the corner of an unused room. So I, it's very funny to me that I was writing this fantasy love story and I had it so focused on this structure where Nora could go to write by herself. It's almost like I snuck my own fantasy into this story. Um, but she ends up, she does all of her writing in the tea house and the film, the screenplay that she writes about her divorce is called the tea house. Um, and that was actually the original title for the book, which is how much this tea house meant to me while I was writing this book. It's sort of got that Nancy Myers-esque, you know, real estate porn uh, vibe. You know, it's I, I love that you were curled up in a small chair in a corner of your of your of your own house trying to carve out space because I think that's a big part of why those Nancy Meyer movies are so attractive. You know, it's this gigantic, it's the fantasy of the big white kitchen and the the beautiful house set on the the edge of of a cliff. Um, yeah. How is this so different from writing? The other book of yours that I've read is a collection of essays called Does This Volvo Make My, Make My Butt Look Big, which is just the most hilarious title. Um, <laughs> and it's a wonderful um, collection of essays that, that sort of really focus on the uh, nuances of, of being maybe in a small town, being um, you know an active parent. You write a lot about parenting. You write about growing in a marriage, you write just sort of like um, observations on life. How did writing a collection of essays differ? And do, do, did you enjoy having a bigger canvas to work with, with a novel? Well, I, I, I don't think I could pick one that I enjoy more. Um, I cannot help but write an essay. I write them all the time. I have a regular column that I write every two weeks. And I feel like there's always something coming up that I want to write about. And that is, um, it's a way of my processing something that's happening or my way of just experiencing again, something that I find that's amusing. I find that a, a living in a family is such a fascinating experience. If you just take a step back, you know, it's like you take all these characters and shove them in a house and see how it all works out. Um, I love writing about that. I also love that there's so little pressure when you're trying to write 700 words about something. So that feels like you get the satisfaction of getting it done, you know, fairly quickly. Um, and I really enjoy that. I also, you know, writing in a bigger way, 
Um, I feel like I'm going to reach more people, but I also like being able to just make stuff up. Um, so when you're writing a novel, it's, it's fun. I, you know, Nora is, I gave her my schedule. She has the same schedule during the day that I have. Um, but other than that, we're totally different people. And it was really fun for me to just sort of inhabit her skin and go through this whole relationship and heartbreak and all the things that she goes through. Um, that feels like just playing make-believe. I loved it. It's so fun. So what is your schedule? You said you gave Nora your schedule. What's Give us a breakdown. How do you get words down on paper? Is it a daily practice? Do you, need, do you give yourself um, word count deadlines? Walk us through it. I don't give do word count because that to me, just like I'll choke, like it, that's too concrete. Um, you know, I wake up, I deal with my children, get them out of the house. I only have one home now. Um, I walk my dog, I exercise, then I'm done with that by 10 o'clock. Um, I like to work from 10 to two. That's ideal. Um, I honestly don't think you can write eight hours a day. I, I can't. Um, and then at two o'clock, I sometimes take a nap. Yes, I do. Um, and then, you know, my son, you know, people come back and the, the household sort of picks up again. Uh, there's usually a time in the afternoon where everybody goes to their own corners again, and I can write or work on the more administrative things that you have to do. Um, social media and, you know, filling out questionnaires and planning tours and all that kind of stuff. So, um, okay, so that's your writing process, which I love hearing. And I love that you admit that you take naps. You know, I, I would, I would, I, I'm going to admit that I would love to be taking naps. But at this point, I feel like I've got two jobs and I haven't, I haven't worked that out. But that's, that's on my bucket list is to just sort of. I, I'm telling you, Katie, a nap is a game changer. And I don't mean two hours. I mean, like 20 minutes. Yeah, like a disco it's nap. Like you're ready. You're up. You're not going to the disco, but you're heading back to your, your computer to get going with your writing. So actually, yeah. do, do you type or do you, are you like longhand? Do you believe in, I know you believe in naps. Do you believe in pen and paper or do you believe in like laptops? No, I, um, I make lists and to-do lists and all that kind of stuff on, you know, by hand. And then I can't read them. Um, I type everything. Okay. So we I'm left-handed. We I have, need to type. We have that in common. No one can read my handwriting. It's like, it's like that of a serial killer, but which is strange yeah. after like many, many years of Catholic school, you think that would have been something that I left with, but I didn't. Um, yeah. so, so getting published. So you have you've published, you know, young adult books. You've published this collection of essays. You obviously have a column. But this is, you know, with Penguin Random House. Was it hard to get a, a big publisher to sit up and take notice? Walk us through that that process. It was glorious. It was it was, it was <laughs> glorious just, is good. I bet it was it was like a big surprise party. Um, I when I finished this book, I got a new agent. Um, and my agent set it out on submission and that was on a Friday. And then on a Monday, um, there was a bunch of interest and, uh, eventually the most brilliant, uh, editor in the world, um, ended up buying my book. And I've just honestly, like, you know, they paid me money for it, but I would have worked with her for free. I mean, she's just such a smart, interesting, um, person. And it's just, it's, it's just been great. That's so, so it happened fabulous. very easily. I, I love that story. And because I do follow you on social media, I see you're very plugged into 
the author community. Is that important for, you know, to you? Because I know when you're like in your corner writing alone, even though you're perhaps in a very crowded house during the pandemic with all your kids, you know, writing is a solitary endeavor. Is it important to you to surround yourself with writer friends? How does that work? You know, I, I used to think people used to say, oh, you should get to know my cousin. She's a writer. And I'm like, this is not a networking job. Like you just have to sit there and write a story by yourself. Um, and I was so wrong about that. Uh, the more author friends I have, the more um, I feel like my work improves. I get to read their work as it's in progress and I'm learning from them. Um, when something great happens to me, they share it on social media. Like you, you can't underestimate the the impact and the value um, of those friendships. And there's also, you know, your friends who are not writers, you can't call them and, you know, share your disappointment over some very specific thing that would only happen to a writer. Right. That makes uh, sense. So it, yeah. It's just, it's a wonderful support network. And um, I, I, I didn't know that was a thing, but it definitely is. I found that with podcasting as well, and even the midlife space right now. I've I've connected with a lot. Of, I've had a lot of podcast, uh, you know, hosts on my show. I love connecting with them. They're great at, uh, you know, on the mic, great at telling stories. I've had so many um, midlife brands and women who are helping others thrive in midlife on the show, and it's really turned into a network. I agree. I, I've learned a lot. I have. Um, you know, I've gotten their support and, and you know, they've helped me kind of grow and thrive. So I would say to any listener who is looking to kind of move into a new space, I think what, you know, you're, you surround yourself with people who are in that space. It is going to help you um, help you thrive. I want to also ask you about something specific. I picked up uh, my copy of Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big Again? And I thumbed through it and I was reminded of all the chapters that I loved. And you have one, I think you close the book with it, and it's about growing in a marriage. And you mm. share a story about how um, when you were sort of registering, you picked up some champagne flutes and you were ready for married life and every night felt like a Saturday. And then you say, quote, that adulthood can feel like a string of Mondays. And I love this line because I think anyone who's listening to this has felt like adulthood is more like a string of Mondays than it is like Saturday champagne nights. Um, we have, you know, mortgages, health crisis, childcare. We're, we're in full Monday mode. Um, do you feel that that your observations on life have have changed uh, as you've gotten to be, uh, you know, in midlife? How has that impacted your writing? You touched on it in the beginning, but are you writing different essays now than you had been writing when you were younger? Um, I love that you bring up that essay because I love that essay. It, I just it like makes me feel so warm towards my husband. You know, the more nonsense we go through, the more I'm like, wow, he's really like here for the long haul. You know, he's he's not going anywhere. Um, I think that as I get older, uh, my approach to everything has changed. Um, I feel like joy has a, has replaced fear. Um, I sort of feel like it's the opposite of, you know, in middle school, you're always like every time you walk into a room, you're worried about what people are going to think. And then you sort of choke. And you don't care. And when you get, yeah. I just don't, I just like, I'll have a call with my editor and she's going to tell me if she likes my next book or not. And I don't feel nervous or fearful. I feel excited about finding out what she thinks. It's like a different, it's like, I think by the time you get to middle age or a certain age, <laughs> you, you've experienced enough stuff that you know, you can get through it. And you're just sort of more interested in how it's going to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just don't have the fear of failure that I used to. Um, so I think that going forward, I'm just going to write whatever I feel like. I love I love that spirit. And in fact, we're connected through uh, the author, Karen Ducasse, who was one of my first guests and one of my favorite guests. And she said something on the show that has stuck with me and never left, which is that she sat down to write her novel after the fear of not doing it well, which is what had stopped her for so, you know, for so long, was replaced by the fear of not doing it at all. You know, and mm. she just said, I want to write this book. And, you know, I don't I don't care how it goes and, and what people think. And and she did. And she got it published. And it was such a wonderful um, just way of looking at uh, at life. Like we're, we're not letting fear stop us any longer. We we need to get no. into action and to get no, going. Because we don't even know what we're afraid of. And thank God, because it's such a great book that she wrote, The Last Book Party. I mean, what if she hadn't written that book? I know it's so one and so it's so one and so uh, so fun and so wonderful and if it's a great book for readers as well. What are the stories of midlife that that you see uh, other writers covering well, and what's not getting enough airtime? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, the author Amy Popple does midlife in a way that um, I really appreciate. Um, she wrote a book called Limelight, where the main character's superpower is being a mother. You know, she sort of saves the day with her mothering, which I love. Um, and then her next book, Musical Chairs, she has all these millennials. Like at midlife, you're sort of dealing with a lot of millennial children or and the way they are um, with respect to the way a woman in her 50s is, is hilarious to watch. Um, I don't know that romance is getting enough airtime. Um, and in fact, I've been surprised to hear all the comments about my book saying, oh, they're so happy to see an older woman in a relationship, you know, a love story with an older woman. And I'm thinking, she's 39. Like, she's not <laughs> so old. <laughs> she seems like a kid to me. Oh, my uh, gosh. That's so funny. But people do not, um, they, you know, I don't read a lot of that stuff, but they, they'd say there, there really aren't books for women that are over 25 that are romantically involved. So you're changing that. Is your next book a romance? Is it going to feature? Yes. What, it's in a nursing that? home. She's 75. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. <laughs> yes. It's called the geriatric romance. No. Um, yeah, no, I like my next book. Actually, the protagonist is only 30. Um, but I, I think that after that, uh, my protagonist is 50 in her fifties. And who's doing romance writing? Well, I mean, it sounds like there's maybe a shortage of, of, of romance books with midlife protagonists, but who, who, um, is always something worth picking up? Uh, Emily Henry is always worth picking up. Um, she, her new, I mean, I don't have to tell anybody this because it's everywhere, but her new book, uh, Book Lovers is fantastic. Uh, my favorite book that I've read in a long time is People We Meet on Vacation, which she wrote, I think it came out last year. Um, but she does romance. They're all love stories, but they're all smart and they're all fun uh, with great dialogue. Um, I think she's the master. Okay. I love that. I love that. All right. We are Annabelle wrapping up a little bit. I want to head into a quick speed round though, before I lose you. Um, are you up for it? I'm up for it. I took a deep breath. <laughs> You've got this. Okay. Writing Nora goes off script was the most fun I've ever had. Oh my gosh. I love that. Dream 
actress to play Nora? The woman who is Leslie Mann. Okay. She would be wonderful. Wonderful. I love Leslie Mann. I can never think of her name for some reason, but I love her. You just did. You pulled it out of your hat. I love it. So we're not going to, Paul Rudd is not going to be the answer to this because he's already gotten enough airtime, but who would play Leo? (laughs) Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, okay. That works. That totally works. Matthew, are you listening? We got to get this, you know, we got to get this in front of him and Paul for sure. Okay. It's on you. (laughs) I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. I'm trying to get Jennifer Grey on the, on the podcast. So I I don't know Mm -hmm. that I'm like pulling the right strings, but uh, Paul Rudd might be untouchable. Okay. Reading on a Kindle. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Library or bookstore? Oh, I, I get my books at a bookstore. I work at the library. Okay. That makes sense. All right. An indie bookstore we should put on our list. There's Athena Books in Old Greenwich, Connecticut, just opened, and it is a gorgeous space. Very nice. Barnes & Noble or Amazon? Barnes & Noble. Summer beach read on top of your to-be-read pile. A Shoe Story by Jane L. Rosen. Nice. I could read this book again and again. Pride and Prejudice. Surprise. I love books, but this genre doesn't do it for me. Fantasy. I love it. Okay. I love fantasy. So I had to like stop myself for a minute there. But do you? I, but yeah, I do. I love like Game of Thrones. I, I you know, I love, um, you know, all of the Lord of the Rings. It's, that's, I, I do love that. But yeah, no, I space out when I read them. I don't know why. It doesn't have to be for everyone. Okay. Finally, their last question. Your one word answer to complete this sentence. As I age, I feel free. Free. Very nice. Thank you, Annabelle. This has been so much fun. I loved connecting with you. I absolutely love this book. I read it on an airplane to Scotland. I got to the end. I mean, I blazed through it. I got to the end of it and it was sad. I felt like I was I was saying goodbye to some good friends. So I really oh. I'm encouraging everyone to pick it up. I'm calling it a summer beach read because I know that it's gotten a lot of press. Like I think Southern Magazine said it. it's like the beach book of the summer and There's been a lot of great buzz around it, but you could read this book anytime. So if you're listening to this podcast in January, I still encourage you to find this book. So before we do go say goodbye, how can our listeners find you, your work, and Nora Goes Off Script? Uh, Well, you can find all the information in the world on my website, which is AnnabelleMonahan.com. And you can find my book at any bookstore uh, or Amazon, but I prefer you go to an indie bookstore because we need to support them. Um, And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Indie bookstores all the way. A Certain Age Pod has a bookshop on indie bookseller, bookshop.org. I always link to bookshop.org in the show notes. So you can head to acertainagepod.com for the show notes and the links to that indie bookseller. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you so much, Katie. This was awesome. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when I talk about the challenges of balancing aging parents, a career, and a life with Liz O'Donnell, author of Working Daughter, a guide to caring for your aging parents while making a living. Before we say goodbye, I want to thank everyone who has taken time to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. I see and appreciate you. 
If you have not done so yet, make today the day. It's so easy to do. Just find a certain age on your podcast app, scroll down to the bottom, and tap on the stars to rate or leave a written review. Both matter because ratings and reviews help other women find the show and help it grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties.